makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha, I can't do chasha. Oh, it don't get your mind cracked like an ombi. Oh, who told you? Now who bought you? Come. Takos can scan ombi kill na yuha. Ma cracked it. I can't think of takos ombi kill na kehe om. Oh, na oh ki chila money pikte. Ma cracked it. Oh ki la music la. Hey, oh hey chila. Le oh yu ta. Betu Ashtelo, Chante Ashtena, Petrus Apiello, Let Unkipiki He Ashtelo, Let Ampetu King, Tankana Ashtelo, Ola Kota Yello, Oyate Hona Umpi Oholo Uskwati Wichoni. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. The whole world is a beautiful day. It's good for all of us to be here. This day is significant and good, and there is peace. And let the people hear your voice respectfully and celebrate life. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And our website is firstvoicesindigenousradio.org. And I want to thank you for your generosity, as always, for being there and here on the air with me. You know who you are, and without you, we cannot continue. I'm your host, T. Okus and Ghost Horse. This, this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio now in its 28th year of broadcasting. And our First Voices radio producer is the great researcher, Liz Hill. Uh, today's guest, a uh, very welcome guest, is uh, Martin Prechtel. It's always an honor to spend time with him and uh, always thinking ahead, thinking behind, thinking right now as a writer and teacher in a search for uh, what people would say, the indigenous soul in all people, which I know that's true. Um, he is dedicated student of eloquence, elegance, uh, history, language, ongoing fresh approach, and is in his native New Mexico, 
Martin teaches at his international school, Bolat's Kitchen, a hands-on historical and spiritual immersion into language and music and ritual and farming and cooking and smithing and natural colors and architecture, animal raising, clothing, tools, grief and humor and breathing. In these ways, Martin helps people from many lands, cultures and backgrounds to remember uh, the majesty of their origins and cultivates a flowering culture in the present to grow a time of hope beyond our own. Wow, that's a lot to, to say, Martine. And uh, <laughs> Good morning. It's a lot to live up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a couple of books here that I want to uh, rattle off here. Secrets of the Talking Jaguar, Long Life, Honey in the Heart, The Disobedience of the Daughter of the Sun, Stealing Benefacio's Roses, The Unlikely Piece of Chuchumakik, I think, and The Smell of Rain on Dust, Grief and Praise. And you can find anything Martin has going on right now at floweringmountain.com. So I'd like to welcome you back in the great disobedience of the daughter of the sun. Thank you, Martin Proctel, for being here on First Voices this well, afternoon. Thank you, Tilkosin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me come and talk to your people. Poor people, they have to listen to me. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> How you, are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm just hanging in there, just anticipating, and as usual, having no questions at all what to ask. But, um, you know, there's no agenda here. I think the Spirit will give us that agenda. I want to tell you, Martine, that before every radio program, I'm outside talking with the tree and asking them, the earth, the children that are closer to the earth, what do I say? What questions do I ask? Lead me, show me, be with me so that I I don't make the message, uh, that I don't make myself bigger than the message. So, and that, that's why I go out there because I know this time it's that uh, empathy of the earth. I, I would think that we uh, either lack or we're not noticing that it's already there. Empathy <laughs> as a being is waiting for us um, right. to engage empathy, neither male or female, but just an energy, that empathy, the consciousness of the earth is waiting. What do you think about that to begin with? Well, that's, what else can we say? That's a very beautiful the only difference with me and you is that there's no outside, you know, because the inside, outside, it's all, you know, the natural world is, uh, uh, to me, it's not, it's very personified, very, she's very much alive and, 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 and composite. There's so many beings on the inside of that and the beings on the inside of those and microcosm and gigantic and big but the beauty is is that she's always some little part of her is always right there in front of us and we can always go and and speak to her but we can also well you know, like you're pointing out learn to listen to what she's saying but a lot of people don't listen they can't listen they don't listen and then again you know to listen you really have to know that language and you have to try to learn it so i think that's the way to go always that's definitely native method i mean Ask the questions first, and then listen, and then go from there. Otherwise, the people, you know, they, well, the people, yeah, but they, they're, they get big heads, but they're very feeling very insignificant, so they overcompensate. But the truth and the reality of the matter is the earth and all of the airs and the plants and the weathers and the animals, they're the big thing. And we have them all running around inside our own bodies. And so 
if we forget that, then we get awfully lonesome and make a lot of bad moves. And you can see them going on all over the place in the world at the same time. There's a lot of amazing, amazing people doing amazing, amazing things. They just don't get the front lines. You know? So, so, so when, you, when you talk about listening, oh, I like that. Um, they don't, they don't, they're not looking for the camera or front headlines and being the entertainment for the social media <laughs> thing, I think. But the, the, right. the, the idea of listening is, um, um, I often tell people, it, it comes from being indigenous or Lakota, is that we are always told to go listen you know, and that, that's a good advice. That's good suggestion. But we often, I see, we forget that Earth is already listening to us. Yeah, right. And constantly. And that, you know, it's like people who are a musician, like you're a musician. I'm also a musician. In order to have, be a good musician, you have to be able to listen. And if you're playing with other musicians, you have to hear what they're playing and they hear what you're playing so you can play together. And if you don't listen, then you just blast away and wreck everything. So it's, uh, the listening is uh, so amazing, but there's different kinds of ways of listening. You know, it's not just with your ears and, or just with what you feel. But to, you know, I always say to the people, they always, you know, coming to my little school for things, or such <laughs> to do that. But they ask me, you know, about courting. So I'm always talking about courting instead of just walking up to something and taking the gold out of the rock. You know, you've got to ask the permission of the rock person. Well, when you're courting somebody or something you love, you don't look at them. You know, that's the normal method. You sit down beside them and look at what they're seeing. And then when you see what they're seeing and try to hear what they're hearing and love what they're loving, then you're on the road to where the, where the, where the love can happen because otherwise you're not listening to what they're listening to. So the thing about the earth and all that is to try to hear what the earth is hearing. The earth is a gigantic antique ear that it's listening is also it's singing. And so a lot of, we have a, a saying in the initiations, they used to have a, a knock on, we would, they would knock on the, the isolation hut and the young people would say, uh, Mother, are you there? And and then uh, we would ask them, so what do you hear? So I don't hear anything. I said, well, knock again. <laughs> Keep doing this. And finally, after about 20 times, I said, well, now listen real hard now. And they were listening real hard. And I said, what do you hear? It's just birds singing and, and the river running. I said, that's her reply, my friend. She's home. You're not home. In other words, the world is her reply, you know? So it's to be able to listen to her reply is the thing. It's not whether or not she's replying. She's always replying. She's always listening. Wow. I often, you know, have fires um, and people, different peoples come along, young ones and old ones. And um, it's it's a various discussions that are going on. And at the heart of it is the beginning of that particular fire, which we call the fire without end. And right. a, a lot of people don't know that or understand that. I don't need to tell them, but there is a different sense of respect that comes, um, not just because of the romance of the native or the indigenous, either within themselves or physically as they see me, but it's actually that which is uh, surprising themselves as 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 inherent knowing that there's something else going on. For instance, if a bear shows up or a deer show up, you know, that, that, (laughs) that could be a sign, but often it's meant for entertainment and, uh, and and aha moments, but it's a big one. Yeah. And it feels like a regular thing to me. You see? Yes. That's absolutely right. It's like, 
sometimes you'll be up in the bush, you know, and walking around, you know, doing, going to pray or doing what you do, and you turn around and there's a track of a bear there. And then it's really uh, kind of wild track of bear if the track of the bear is on top of your own track. You know, and you're going, ah, oh, wait a minute, this bear was here all along, and he's right here. So a lot of time, the holy in the world is not like some great sensationalist, you know, thing that people are always looking to find on their, you know, vision quest or whatever they're calling these days. But it's all, it's to be able to see what's already there, already magnificently, constantly going on. It's so amazing. But, you know, sometimes people get so far away from it, you have to draw a little circle around yourself and just stare in there and realize what's going on as you go worrying about your taxes and what's going to happen tomorrow instead of looking at, wow, this miracle is just like constant. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. So I could tell you a lot of funny stories, but I won't bother you right now. Oh, yeah. I, someday <laughs> we're going to do that. We're going to have to sit down and plant the, plant our corn and tell stories. Yeah, I'm hoeing my corn and we're so dry over here. All you people are going to steal all that rain. Oh. I don't know why you do that. <laughs> some rain. So, so I was thinking while you were talking about, you know, the little circle around ourselves and it, we often think that we are separated from nature. That's what we call it, nature. But in our languages, uh, there is no such word as nature. Um, so it, it, these so-called earth languages, when I'm speaking English, it often people who are in the dualistic form of English are thinking that I'm speaking, you know, division words or divisional terms. Um, but I'm really speaking from the heart of inclusion, which is Lakota. It's It's understood differently how I how I interpret English into Lakota, which which seems very different than when I'm trying to, you know, how do you say it, to create concepts from the Lakota. Yeah, yeah. You, I think you understand that. But, Absolutely. Yeah, and when, when I'm in a, in a space of, um, how, how do I say this? When I'm in the space of the intertransitional, the, between the lines, the intellectual, intelligence between the lines from going from Lakota to English and then having to go back again to mm. constantly source rather than resource. It feels that different, Martinez, that when I'm speaking English, I feel I have to resource everything. Whereas yeah. in, in Lakota, it is the source. You see? It's already there. You are the book. You know, the ground is the book. It's not like you have to go anywhere. It's just right there. Well, it's funny about languages. My interest has always been how, I think, you know, this is just my own idea, is that all people were with this. They were all in deep inside their hearts like this as, as tribes and people. How did it get to be that a language was not that way? That's what always, uh, uh, you know, made me strange. When I was little, my mother actually was <laughs> the first teacher of English as a second language in New Mexico. So she used me as like, to ask me how you say this in this native tongue, because she didn't speak the tongue of the place where she taught, and I did, because I was little, and it, you know, I just grew up talking it. And so it was so strange to always trying to uh, translate, constantly translate, constantly translate. And as soon as you translate, you know, as you say, you get these divisions that are not naturally there. And so it becomes like this enormous college course to try to explain. But actually, I think deep down inside, if you look at certain words like in English and, you know, Romance languages have become so technical and, and so-called so civilized, you know, that um, deep there somewhere along the line in this grief-stricken hole of 
horror of what the other Western world became is that there there was a, a time when those languages didn't didn't say those things. So I always looked at, into the history of stuff, and then when I came over, I realized that English actually didn't exist um, primarily. It didn't exist as a language to speak to holies, to speak to her. It actually came about as a it was synthesized intentionally in order to promote Catholicism in the British Isles. And it actually didn't exist before that. You know, you don't like have a, an like old-time Dene language that goes in general. It was no old-time English. There were all these composite different peoples. And then this one group of people decided they're going to invent this language and everybody's going to talk or go to jail or something like that, you know. Hmm. And it's like, ah, well, there you go. So here we are speaking English, you know, derived, no doubt. And I spend all my time when I write, and now I'm talking in English right now, you know, not actually subverting the language, but trying to make it carry something that it doesn't really want to carry, you know, and trying to make it uh, say that. So people are always accusing me of my books are all written as, it's really nice, all that prose poetry that you write. So I don't write prose poetry. I write prose. And they said, oh, yeah, but it's so locked up in all of this. Flower. I said, no, that's how people speak in native tongue. Native tongue, we, we, that's not like something different than everyday talk. It's just the way we talk in everyday talk. So I'm trying to make English do the same thing. I don't, I don't think I'm succeeding, but I keep hammering away. I tell you what, yeah. I keep going at it. But I think it's uh, possible that deep down inside, people can speak and can talk, and as long as they stop talking at things and start asking permission and watch out for that verb to be, you know? Huh. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it um, you know, as you may know or not, I, I'm quite often in, on panels and educational seminars and, you know, sort of, and one of my lines that I use when I feel it's appropriate is to, to not educate the wisdom out of ourselves. Right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. Yeah, and, and a lot of people get that, but they don't. And they, they the question comes as a point of privilege. How do you do that? Because that is, I say it's privilege because they want the instruction manual of how to do something. Right. And then they assume, and the assumption becomes consumption that, everybody is supposed to ask how across the world when you and I grew up observing. Right. Right. And the other thing is, is that people have this idea that somehow people are here to get what they want and they're here to succeed at, at this really vague um, desire of what civilization is promoting as opposed to being part of the grandeur of the whole of all the natural world. And so your language not only has to reflect that, but it has to be another thing that's worth listening to. In other words, if you're going to listen to the natural world and you're going to speak to the natural world, then what you speak must be as worthy as what the natural world is speaking to us. I don't think anyone's actually capable of that grandeur, but the attempt to do so is what turns us into really amazing, beautiful people. So uh, language is so important. There's so few people these days are worried about language. That's why I always love being on your show because, you know, I do a few interviews here and there, and, you know, they don't want to talk about language, but you do. And and with native um, comprehensions, I mean... The, the whole culture is in the language. You know, you can change the way you wear your shoe or your hair or this thing and that, but the language is where everything lives, and that's the way you think your thoughts, too. 
So if that language, uh, I'm always working on the language because, you know, like years ago, I used to talk to some crazy guys like Russell Means and John Shodell, God rest his son, and all these uh, people, and they were always on my butt about this and that and the other, and I said, no, no, man. I, you know, I don't need to educate natives. I need to educate the enemy. You know, this was in the revolutionary days. And, and then, I really, you know, I took the, the fangs out of that, too, because, of course, there was not the enemy in the end. That, that, that what I was trying to educate was the syndrome that was keeping everybody, that was making them kill themselves, literally, with civilization, as we can see around us. So the language itself, then, then a lot of Native people, very rightly so, you know, this, especially the academic people, as you say, like on all the panels, try to develop a, an idea of decolonizing the language that they speak. But you can't decolonize the colonization because then you become a colonizer yourself. So you have to actually employ what's calm in order to not make it toxic, but at the same time not to take uh, any of the grief out of the reality of one's actual personal or tribal history. So, I mean, it's like taking all of the animals off of Point Reyes that came from India and from Europe. But then you still have all these Polish guys and everybody else living there, you know, without them. The idea is you have to incorporate whatever anything has come, where it has come from, in order to make it work within reason, without it being, you know, you can't just all of a sudden get a pure Indian thing or a pure this or a pure that because then you become Hitler, you see. So this beauty of the indigenous languages is not so much that it incorporates what comes in later, but it somehow gives it a home, somehow gives it a place, because all of these conquerors' languages and mentalities, as vicious and horrid as they could be, are actually sad little orphans who don't have no place to live. And so you can actually take all of that and, and not so much tame it, but make it so it's not toxic anymore. And to me, that's better than decolonizing everything and keeping everything so that, you know, that's once again that division, them and us. And then what happens is then the person uh, mystically, I mean, as soon as you start decolonizing everything, you become a colonizer because you're all of a sudden say, this is pure and this is perfect and this is the only thing and nobody can talk it, nobody wants to. I mean, they started a program in Ireland, you know, with all the young people to start speaking Gaelic again, you know, the indigenous language of Irish people. None of the youth want it. They have actually less speakers now than they've ever had any before because it was all enforced as an imperial decolonization from English. And so, you know, it's really crazy. But I don't know, I got off my tirade there. But I had a guy in, in Ireland, he translated one of my books into to Gaelic and read it to me. I don't speak in the Gaelic to speak of except Salancha and a few words like that. And it was so beautiful, though. The cadence was so amazing. And I asked him, I said, whatever, you know, brought to your mind to translate one of my books into Gaelic, a, a language only a few people speak. He says, it's so weird. The way you wrote the English, it was so easy to put into Gaelic because it just rolled right in because the syntax was right on top of it. I said, that's very interesting. I never knew that. So, you know, this is, I mean, going on and on about language, but native language, very important. Very, very, very important. And it's, as uh, tempting as it always is to purify and pull down all the statues and all that, I'm all for it. But you, you can't think you've accomplished anything when you finally got this word out of your language or this clothing style out of your, your way of being. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's very sad. I wish it was. We could just do that, that simply. But then you end up being, you know, what you call a racial purge. Mm. So the beauty of native peoples is that not that they adjust to the stupidity that's shoved down their throat, which they most certainly have had to do, but that the land itself and everything metabolizing this grief 
of, the, of it having happened in the first place and continuing indigenously to make beauty under the condition in which people find themselves. So anyway, that's my, my trip, you know. No, that, that's a very good trip. I went with you, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we're, we're, spe- <laughs> we're speaking with Martin Prechtel, author, thinker, writer, teacher, and now he's being interviewed. So he's an interviewee. And, uh, <laughs> That's an E, yeah. So E for yeah. Earth. But um, going right. back to your original statement about macro, micro, you know, often like the cosmos in the, the world we see with our eyes seems to be a lot smaller because it's much harder to understand the cosmos inside, which is a bigger space. And yeah. because we're, we're, we're tethered to a material world and with a material language, we often have to use the language of manipulation to gain that material. So it takes me back again to, well, to include the way English thinks or feels or thinks or whatever it does is that growing up understanding that our bodies are in the soul rather than the soul are in our bodies, you see. Right. There you go. Hey, man, you stole that one from me. Hey. Oh, yeah, did <laughs> That's I? a good one. Oh, it's a, it's a good one. Um, but also it's that the, the language we're speaking that I know in, in the old days, uh, we learned the language from the animals and the land. And uh, we often say that earth doesn't lie. So our language is the same because it was taught to us from the earth. And yet how... How how far we've gotten away from using that energy of language of the earth properly? You see where I'm going right, with this? Right, I do. Yeah, and it's a it's a betrayal in the way that we have uh, you know perpetrated. I mean, I always liked in the old days a very mystic uh, old time mind. All the old timers they would always say, you know, human being, they're married to the to the land. They're married to the young woman, and we have to keep our agreements with her. Because we've stolen all their agriculture and everything from her. So we're like married. As soon as we don't keep those agreements anymore, then, then we betray her. And so the earth starts saying, well, okay, well, let's do something good and let's uh, make up and let's not have this, uh, this betrayal anymore. So I see that, that what you were talking about with the language and where you start to minimalize, you know, you start to trivialize or make something contained. The other thing is to get it small so you can put it on the shelf and forget about it, you know. And uh, so the bigness, the inner bigness of things is so grand for a young, young people, I think, can get it easier than if they get kind of crispy and old. But they could stay limber if they got this when they were young, is to see the, the magnificentness of the whole body as being the ground, as being the earth. As you said, the soul is in, inside, uh, the, the body is inside the soul. And so when this, uh, when this, uh, relationship, this kind of mystic marriage that takes place between the people who are growing their, their gardens and their fields or are hunting the animal and, or taking the fish and so forth. They have all these little things that the anthropologists always like to say is taboos or rules or regulations. And the modern world, you know, one of you that's, oh, that's a lot of nonsense. You know, if you can get it, you just take it. But you have to ask permission. It's just like a beautiful um, spouse. You don't just, you know, drag them by the hair and throw them over your horse and take them off in the woods. You have to, you have to love them. You have to ask permission. And if permission is not granted, you have to, you have to go with that. And so 
the business world doesn't understand that. But of course, it's not just the business world. But the, the people with their language, they, they become a, a, a taker and not a giver, you know. And so the, it's not, I mean, you know, obviously, economically, it's not necessarily a, a great um, thing that people would want. But indigenously, it's a constant awareness that everything you're doing was, uh, is, uh, you're like um, been granted it by your in-laws. And your in-laws were the forest. And your in-laws were the mother of the va- mother valleys and were the moon and all these things. So every time you go to go farm or to get something from the earth, you're going to your in-laws' house and you ask permission to take your daughter home or her husband in case baby is woman and so forth. So, you know, I have never been able to get that across with the so-called quote-unquote, you know, Anglo uh, contingent. They're just, just like too far removed from them to, for them to see that. They need everything in metaphor, you know. But for, for natives where I used to live, they, this was a very, very literal thing uh, to the point to where when you were not in your house and you were going up into the hills, into the bush, you changed your language. You didn't even use the same words for everything. I mean, like if you were in, a, you wouldn't say a, the word for a snake or the word for the moon or the word for a jaguar or the word for a tree. They all changed because they were called they were courtesy forms. And so you use these courtesy forms of speaking, which showed automatically that you were being conscious of where you were. And um, I just love that so much. But, you know, that gets that's the first thing that's lost as soon as you go into, you know, the efficiency value of something. Let's get this and let's get there. And I always ask myself, where does that kind of idea come from where you lose this elegance of being really well with the wild nature? It comes from being scared and actually not being able to hear or see. That's what we started with, that that nature is there and that you can have a relation with it and should have a relationship. And when you don't, you get what you see around us now, you know. That's that's incredible, amazing. Um, you reminded me of the the Cree language and the Caris and the Tzitzol that you teach, yes. you speak. And when uh, the old people uh, the, of the Lakota used to like go and speak another language and and another language and another, you're speaking like five, six different indigenous language, which don't right. lose much of any kind of translation. But because it has to do with the locale, like in Lakota, we were taught in the Black Hills, right? So we can describe right. position of stars, of the wind, the clouds. Yeah. And I get that. I totally get that. And <clears throat> But then we, we get into, a, a, I would say, a, a language of separation because I, I've told people that when I speak English, it feels like I have to separate myself from everything. And right. once I'm I'm there, then I have to find ways to get back into the the box, so to speak, and and or or yeah, stay in the box and and make rationale out of that. But one one thought process because you reminded me of you know the different native languages. But there is one thought that I I would understand here in a language of Lakota is Akantu. Akantu is essentially um, in noun form. It means earth man, right? Mm. But it, it, if you go into the deeper context of it, it really means something like uh, what I would say, and I have to ask elders of this, means the being of the ancient future now. Mm. Right. Oh, well, that brings us to the wonderful indigenous uh, un- understanding of time. I tell you what, that's fantastic. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and and once once you're you're in that, there there is that future is now and the past is now. And so I think in your your book, uh, the smell of rain on dust. To me, that would describe what I got out of that book was the grieving aspect of what a kantu is that to to hold the earth mind to her hold the earth man or human in, in now instead of you know coming up with concepts or different psychologies of what we are experiencing now with the the covid virus and basically yeah. dumbing down ourselves with earth yeah. with without earth intelligence i think that's what is happening to us we're dumbing down ourselves and going with the fear that you described Yes, I think that's very, very true. I think also that the um, the capacity to uh, be a friend with what feeds you, you have to actually recognize that it's feeding you in the first place. You know, it's, it's not only a mother, it's also a father, it's also all of this legacy, that the past is what the present is rooted in, and the future is not a place that you're going to, but it's going to be the next present. And that the, the future itself is the past redone and recycled, recomposted and reseeded. And it comes out. I wrote the book on that actually. It's called The Unlikely Piece of Kuchimukik. It's about seeds in relation to time. And I think that uh, the, the idea of uh, uh, time being a place where you can leave the past to go to a glorious future is, you know, the death of God, man, is the death of the earth because, of course, you can't kill the earth, but, you know, the, it's the death of it in our souls because. You don't leave. The idea is to be here well, not to be always going away from your last travesty, you know, in other words, to make another one, to get away from it. I get all these people, you know, they're writing me, you know, I got my funny old school no one can meet right now, so I've had to cancel, you know, like six different uh, sessions. But I'm doing everything by mail, which is really funny. I feel like an old Byzantine monk, you know, he's writing all these things. But um, they're always asking me, when do you think it's going to return to normal? I said, what do you mean? It never was normal. It wasn't normal. I've been talking about this for 30 years. And it's like, it's not going to return to normal. Normal would be about 20,000 years ago. But it's going to, it's going to, you're going to have to adjust to the beauty of the possibility of what's being presented here instead of saying, oh God, if we could just kill this thing and get on with our, you know, conquering of the earth. And no, you can do that anymore. Earth said, no, I don't think so, baby. Uh, you know, this time is no more that, you know, I was, it was so amazing here when they first had all of the lockdowns and everything and, you know, whatever they were calling it, you know, social distancing and they closed the borders of New Mexico. We didn't have no airplanes going overhead, you know, well, where I live, it's not too many, but no traffic on the highway. I had coyotes sleeping in the front yard, bears all over the place. I, I didn't even know there were so many animals in my neighborhood. I mean, I know all the animals. I thought I knew all the animals. Everything was coming around. There were hummingbirds here from Central America I hadn't seen since I lived there. It was unbelievable. Everywhere was going on, going on, going on, going on, going on, going on. My kids were already homeschooled, so it wasn't really so much of a thing. All my horses were really happy. You know, it was amazing. So in five seconds from when people stopped being idiots, the earth already started to revive, already started to come back alive. So if you look at the earth as being your own body, you know, everyone's own body is the ground, is the earth, is a great, beautiful, flowering world, and your soul lives inside that body. It can come back alive. So what happens when people don't live like that, and that means that they don't really, this is going to sound strange on your program, but it really, to me, means that the people don't actually have their bodies. 
their bodies are not really actually there. So their soul is like an orphan running around for looking for a place to live. And most of the time it becomes an addict of something in order to uh, get over the pain of not really having a home. So, you know, language is, once again, I was going back to language, language is small as it seems. You, I mean, you, if you search for a way to speak these things and understand them, it actually starts to recarve all of those crazy old canals that we have gotten, you know, so robotically entrenched in and makes it so that there's a place in your body for your soul to live and it makes a, a shape to give the logical and majestic throne it so surely deserves, you know, and the worldly self. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, well, I got a lot to say, but you know how it goes. I like that you have a lot to say, a lot of potential there, Martin. Well, um, I think it's the Irish part. I don't think it's the indigenous part. Uh, you know, okay. talk so much. <laughs> 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 Let me explain. So, so now we know. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so no problem, I, I was thinking that, um, again, the feeling that I can convey in this language is one of where um, in Lakota, there's always a room because the cosmos within is so, is the universe. But again, I'm, this is not any criticism. I know people are picking that up because of the fox in the box. But right. what we have is <laughs> there is no box. So that's right. Yeah. yeah so so yeah. What, what I'm, I'm not just the fox. That's yeah. right. And so <laughs> what, what, what's happening here is that but I often find that I'm trying to include in English the Lakota, you see? Right, right. Well, that's right, because you're not a racist, you see? You're not a cultural racist. You want everyone to be able to eat at your feast. You don't throwing them away. You're not telling them to go away from your, your door. You're saying, come in and eat with us, you know? So the problem with that, there is no problem with it. It's just it's the fact that a lot of time, if the people don't make the adjustment to have the, the generosity that you have in order to eat that feast, a lot of the time they start to ruin that feast. So I, uh, I've been wrestling with the idea. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. But I mean, the, the thing is, is there has to be some great transformative adjustment being made. In other words, we can't just go and get an old time language and hope that it would be able to contain all of these things and live beyond it. There actually has to be some movement from the people who have lost their language. See, like, I don't actually think the old languages got lost. I think the people lost, got lost. And I think the languages are still there running around inside the rocks and inside the plants and inside the animals. And the people have just forgotten them. And the languages are actually looking for them, like mothers looking for lost children, you know, in the woods. And that somehow when the great feast of inclusiveness is there, you know, which is the great indigenous uh, wonder of all time, how these people ever survive all the inclusiveness and then they get taken away from it it, uh, by the terribleness of what come in, is that the people who are coming in to take away all that are not in themselves the evil. The problem is a syndrome that took their own ancient people and, and put them through that. And so then they become the promulgators, the promoters of the very thing that ruined their ancestral happiness. So they go around looking, 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 conquering more land, taking more area, going to Mars, more inner space, more this, more that, more money, blah, blah, in order to try to find, to fill that place, which is never going to be filled by any of the things they're looking for. So as they walk into the door into Teokosan's beautiful feast of inclusive feast that he's giving with the language and all of the things that he has to give, 
then there has to be that doorway as they walk through that doorway, the great grief of remembering that you can't remember what it was you originally had, but the fact that you knew it was there. And so you're weeping in itself makes some sort of language that can then appreciate the feast that's being presented and allowing you to sit at the table with the rest of the people. So I, um, I, you know, I, my, my little town, just one little grain of sand in the world of most people, but, um, even smaller probably than most. And I just, uh, continue to constantly try to make that possible. This is why I, I'm writing in English and, and people say, oh, you know, you make it so this way and that way. Yeah, because if you go the route in it, you slowly, some part of you will say, oh man, that's so delicious. Let me, let me do that too, you know? Right. <laughs> so maybe you'll right. get permission to come out of this little place where you said like you was hold up, is that like in a box? And I said, well, but maybe there is no box. It's not there, it's just staying in. You know what, to quote, I'm sorry, I have to say, I'm writing a book on horses right now. I used to have this beautiful horse, an Indian horse actually, and he, um, he would not cross a yellow line that was painted on the ground, which was really hard for crossing the highway. And so you could draw four little yellow lines. I don't know how this happened to him. It was before I owned him, and, or he owned me, I should say. He would stand inside these four lines if you put him there, and he would not cross them. He wouldn't go out and he'd starve to death. But if you took the halter and the saddle and everything off him and just put him inside those yellow lines, he'd just walk across it like nothing. So as long as he was being restrained by me, he was restrained by that box. And I started thinking about people in regard to that. I said, ah, oh, how about that? So the freedom was always there, but he was just agreeing to what somebody a long time ago had taught him to stay inside these lines that we would not no reason for him to stay in there, you know. It's amazing. Well, that is amazing. We want to say, well, we are are human beings. We're much more intelligent than that. And yet our 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 (laughs) mental is the box. (laughs) So so (laughs) moving ahead, we have about 10 minutes left, Martin. I'm I'm thinking about a lot of young people that I I work with and even old people are – you know, thinking and hoping there's going to be a future. And so after this is all done and for or things get back to normal, as we mentioned, or, you know, but there is a, a few people who are bravely, uh, I, I would say, understanding uh, before the knowledge, before the stats and facts and the measurements and the economy, they're understanding that there is a post paradigm, that there is post-capitalism. There is, there is an, an exit strategy. You just described it. I think with the horse, um, right. the, the, uh, for, for, for lack of a better term, the new language. And I, I wake up every day with this, this, and I have always with this, um, I don't know, this possibility, this possibility that there's something other than what we are doing now, but I'm not dissatisfied with what's going on now because we have to go on with what's going through yeah. in order to get to that possibility. Sure. Yeah, well, I, 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 that's very good. I mean, one of the major things is, uh, I think, is the people not being in love with life and not being in love with their own life. And, you know, because they've been crammed in these little, or, or crammed themselves into these little cubicles and the very limited existences of having, you know, entertainment on this day and working these strange cubicle lives on the rest of the days. But to have a vision of uh, a world that is not so much utopic, but I think the main thing is to ask the permission of the world itself. In other words, the earth itself and the cosmos, as you call it, itself. And to ask the question of the body itself, ask it of the holies themselves, not what the people want, you know, 
because the people have, have been diseducated, as you said. Their wisdom has been uh, educated out of them, so they can't really make a response until that, that change has happened. It's the catch-22. Until the change has happened, they can't make a good decision, really. So they have to ask the thing that does know. And that's the ground itself, the rock itself, the plant itself, the sky itself, the weather itself, the stars itself, everything, all kinds of animal, every good, big kind here and before and coming. And all those things, ask them what's supposed to look like and where we put our foot next, or if we put it at all, and where, you know, where we speak and how we put down. I mean, the energy spent to make a beautiful offering for the sun cannot be seen by a businessman. He says, well, the sun doesn't need our help to go rise in the morning. Yeah, but we need the sun's help in order to help the sun in order to be real people. Otherwise, we're not people at all. We're just people plugging away, getting what we want, scared to hell, trying to get away from where we are in order to get to a place we never get to. No, 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 no. Let's spend time listening. Let's spend time not just sitting on our butt, but actively helping one another to somehow listen to what's around us in the ground. I mean, a lot of the people who are living in very urban condition don't really have any a vision of natural world as being what's in charge right now. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's logical. You're surrounded by concrete and building, and that's all you ever know. Don't you think that the natural world is, is, you know, actually heaving the ocean like that and actually melting the poles and doing all that? The people aren't melting those. The earth is melting those, you know. It's just arrogance, you know. But arrogance doesn't come from evil. It comes from being scared. And, uh, and people have to be brave to ask the question and they have to be even braver to listen to the response of what the Holy and the earth are saying, you know. Wow. And there is a lot of display of that arrogance going now, going now. There's some bravery, too, though. There is yeah. some bravery. I yeah. I yeah. said that, you know. And I was, was going to, the, the, the bravery that I'm what what you remind me of is seeing things differently and, and actually going with the experience rather than the theory of it is that when the Wolchecki or the prayer, uh, you you we we pray with the beings, we pray with the tree, with the earth, and, and not to, but because the yeah. other the other way that we were we we were uh, educated or religious uh, religiousized into was that it all had to do with domination right 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 well that's the whole thing of bowing before god with with like mayans with the Karis people they don't actually worship you know so what i guess uh, people are calling god they they it's a very complex series of environmental star everything all together they they actually feed them. They're, the Mayan word for praying is feeding. Yes. Is, in other words, you think about having a feast earlier and bringing uh, everyone to the feast. You feed the holies, but they don't eat, you know, because all the food that we eat ourselves is the holy's flesh. Right. We don't feed them their own flesh, you know. We feel like you and me eating our own hair trying to get fat, you know. Right. We, we feed them the beauty that humans have. What humans have that nothing else has at this time and place are their thumbs, their posable thumbs, and the beauty of things they can make with their hands, and the incredible capacity with the, their speech and language. All things speech, but human speech is particular. And so we have these great gifts to give as a feast. So we feed holies. We feed gods. We don't pray to them, you know, like, uh, you know, going to the church or sometimes yeah. like that. It's not like that. But we sustain, in other words with the beauty that we have uniquely, because it's said in the old days, and nowadays in the nature, everything in the natural world feeds holy too. Yeah. I mean, everything does, but the way they feed it is by being themselves. In other words, a hawk feeds the holy by being a hawk. 
a rock is the holy by being a rock. But the whole grand of all the holy uh, beauty of the natural world, everything's feeding everything else and dying at its appointed hour in order to feed the next thing so each thing can have its life as it leads. And then when it dies, it actually has a, a use. Whereas people are trying to get out of that paradigm to say, I'm the only one. The earth is dead. It's just a resource. Now, let me get going. Ooh, and then we hit a, a wall. Ding. Oh, it's COVID-19. Now what do we do? Huh? Well, guys, I don't want to sound, I don't want to talk big, you know, I don't like that, you know, a little superstitious, but, oh, maybe listen and try a little bit to become something beautiful whose words and the things they make with their hands are not shopping malls, but gorgeous capacity to feed the holy with what we have already in our bodies and in our, in our tribal uh, languages. And if not having tribal languages, let's start developing them. Okay. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, stopping short of sustainable development, which doesn't make sense in a lot of indigenous yeah, languages. Well, the sustaining thing is the problem. Yeah. It's got to change and go around. You know. So you talked a little yeah. bit about bravery as as being, you know, the, the arrogance and all about bravery. Um, and you said a little bit that uh, to me, the bravery of being able to see, hear and listen to their own languages is as different or speaking it different. And so when, when someone asked me and you mentioned the garden or how food grows, but how we grow food is often the other way that been kind of laid upon us. But what, when you look at it, it truly is that food is growing us. And exactly. Yeah, yeah that's true. A lot of people, they say, well, I can give you a gourd. And that will be my my offering to God. So you didn't grow the gourd, my friend. The gourd grew himself in the ground with the holy. What you have is is, is like what you can make with your hand. Is you don't make a gourd, you make a bead, or you make a carving, or you make this one, or you make that one. There's all these you know things that have come down through time that people use, and then your voice and the creativity of your beautiful language, the the plants themselves. They're your mother. They're the ones that are growing. You're you're a, you're a, not a visitor, you're like a baby in the womb of the garden, you know, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. And all these things dying to feed us, you know, and people don't, you know, a lot of young people, no, we don't want, you know, we don't kill no sheep and we don't eat them and deer meat and we just want to eat broccoli. And I said, well, you're beheading the broccoli just as, soon as, as oh. you know, and the corn coming off the stalk is not like, say, hey, please kill me, please kill me. Uh, it's because they're saying the plant don't feel. I said, wow, look at it in a bigger, bigger perspective about the generosity of all these beings willing to lay down their lives so that you can continue. The least you could do is become a being that's worth keeping alive by being beautiful, small, eloquent, elegant, and the way you just walk down the street, you know? Uh, and then maybe something different will happen, you know? That, that's, and if that's, not, it's still worth doing. So. That's true. Well, we have a couple of minutes. Can you... See, this is the thing with time. It's a nutshell. But uh, can you describe the the book that you you said about horses coming out? Can can we get a little oh, hint? Oh, I got I got two books coming. Out. I'm a crazy man, you know. I'm writing three books at once, and I got two contracts for two of them. And one of them is a book I've been wanting to write for years. And it's a book of all the native horses that I've ever had the honor of being owned by, I guess you'd put it, you know, there's about 80 of them, and I'm writing about 40 of their own biographies, that, as I know them. And it's called The, the Mare and the Mouse. Oh. <laughs> it's a funny little book. It's being put out by North Star in, in Minnesota, a very small press. And then I'm writing, uh, the other book is not really a reading book. It's a book of all my, uh, quote-unquote, 
well-loved sayings among my students. It's about 500 quotations from my school of things I've said that they live by to get through the hard days when, you know, they're like deers in the headlights and can't remember, oh, my God, what, what should I be? Ah, how am I going to get through this day? And so they, I asked them to send them in to me. Now, a lot of them were like playing a game of telephone. They were definitely not what I said. So I had to like you know, fix them up a little bit. But I got about 7,000 sayings, and so I picked a few of them out there that I thought would be useful maybe in a time like this for the people in the world. I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But that one is called Rescuing the Light, and that's been put out by North Atlantic Books. And that won't be out, unfortunately, till about exactly this day. Well, in June next year, in 2021. Okay. But uh, the horse book's out in April. So. Okay. And then there's a the third one, which is my big old book, which I'm plowing away as we speak. So. Okay. Yeah, well, anyway. we're going to have a conversation between now and then. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Well, Martin Prechtel, thank you so be for being here on First Voices. An honor to have you. Your voice, your your energy, your thoughts, your process. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Tiokosin. It's always good to hear your voice. Someday we'll get together. We we'll talk the crazy thing we can't talk on the radio. Yeah, I know. I feel that too. So <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to be crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. So good. Thank All you, Martin. Blessings on you yeah. and yours. Okay. The Martin Pertel. Yes, Martin Pertel can be found at floweringmountain.com. This is First Voices Radio. My name is Tiokosin Ghostors. Thank you for joining us.
there's a place down in Mexico where a man can fly over mountains and hills. And he don't need an airplane or some kind of engine, and he never will. Now you know it's a meaningless question to ask if those stories are right. Cause what matters most is the feeling you get when you're hypnotized. When it seems like a dream, God, we got you hypnotized. This body has nothing. Floating is nothing. Float around and got you in my time. 